Thank you very much for coming. I'm delighted you're here on Commonwealth Day. And um, I'm, I'm Tom, I'm not going to talk about Commonwealth. That's your, that's your job. You can tell us what you think about Commonwealth Day. But we have, in the reform group, uh, for some time, been lobbying, perhaps too strong. We've been asking you to debate it, at least. And Martin Manser, who has very kindly come here today, debated it uh, some years ago in Dublin. Uh, uh, perhaps, Martin, would I say, would it be too far to say representing the government at that stage, giving your own I views? Came, I came as an analyst. You came as an analyst, okay. Well, that's a safe reply, anyway. Good. Okay. Um, I do want to, Tom, before, before you say anything, I do want to plug this book, um, which we in Reform have recently published. Um, if you would like to buy it, I will willingly take details from you. Um, it's a series of essays and debates about the Commonwealth. Um, journalists, um, academics, uh, one uh, associate uh, professor of Trinity College Dublin who lives in Canada, uh, Martin Manser's comments at his debate, that debate is reported in it as well. Uh, a good debate on RTE between Noel Dorr, who was in the Department of Foreign Affairs, Ambassador in London, and Professor Jeff Roberts down in Cork University, who's, who's lobbying for Ireland to go back to the Commonwealth. So there's a lot of good reading here on history of the Commonwealth, argumentation both ways on, on whether we should go back or not. Um, so the last thing is, uh, before I hand over to you, uh, could I just say, if anyone is interested, we are going up to Buswell's Hotel after this. We're not allowed to have food or drink in here. Uh, if anyone would like to come along after you're finished, Tom, and we just have an informal get-together, food or drink or both. So could I ask everyone to give Tom a, a hand? Okay, uh, everyone, we're going to see if there's any ladies, there's certainly one, two ladies. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation, and uh, when Philip asked me to do this first, I uh, started thinking, you know, what would I let myself in for? But I do uh, think it a pleasure to come here, actually, and it's my first time, even though I'm a dedicated Church of Ireland member, it's my first time in Trinity, so uh, I'll have to go home and tell them. Uh, how difficult it is to get into Trinity <laughs> because I have found it uh, quite difficult here this evening uh, I didn't think when I got through the tunnel it would have taken me as long actually to, to arrive here but just as I was leaving I apologise for being late just as I was leaving Stormont this afternoon the BBC stopped me or rather they, they contacted me and said can we have a quick interview about uh, you going to Dublin this evening so that obviously delayed me an extra 15 minutes because uh, a minute for a TV interview never works because you, you have to do about three takes of it and do your walk pass and your walk-ins and the Commonwealth flag is flying at, at Stormont today so they had to get a picture of me in front of the Commonwealth flag. So all these things actually uh, build up and, and that's uh, what delayed me. And uh, I was at my Assembly Party group meeting this morning because we are debating the programme for government today in, in the Northern Ireland Assembly and I was the lead speaker <coughs> on that being chair of the Committee of the Office of First and Deputy First Minister 
and uh, I was explaining that I may not be there for the vote later this evening simply because I was coming here to Dublin. Not that it was crucial to be there because uh, there were by large uh, there were large enough votes to, to actually carry the motion. But anyway, they asked me what I was going to Dublin for. And if any of you have been following the news in the last week in Northern Ireland, you will know that I'm not uh, seeking re-election for the leadership of the Ulster Unionist Party. So when I was asked uh, why I was going to Dublin, I said if I didn't have friends in Northern Ireland, I had to go and seek them elsewhere. <laughs> uh, and uh, some of my party colleagues were not too content that I was seeking them in Dublin, I have to say. But anyway, look, folks, uh, we'll get on to the business of the Commonwealth. And uh, we can easily guess at the origin of the word Commonwealth. It roughly means for the good of all. What many less know is that in times past, it was interchangeable with its more familiar Latin alternative of Republic. A title that carries much more weight in this part of the world, as we shall see, there is no contradiction uh, with these ideals sitting easily side by side. I have been reliably informed that the Irish word for Commonwealth is Kulahas. Now, can anybody tell me if that's right or not? Because I am not fluent in Irish and I don't know Irish. But that, sorry? Cola. Thank you very much. And I uh, believe this also reflects a coming together of the community and democratic principles. Up in County Fermanagh, where I come from, I belong to a number of voluntary organisations of one type or another. And I would imagine that most people here belong to one or two groups as well. And they probably have different outlooks and different ethos, those groups. But generally, when we joined them, it was a common desire to make a contribution to the community, to our community, rather than trying to get what we can personally out of it. It was a contribution from us, rather than a contribution to us. And the Commonwealth of Nations is very much the same. It is a voluntary group membership through choice of non-binding and accommodating principles. Sometimes it is referred to as a family, reflect, reflecting an informality and closeness of relationship. But you can't choose your relatives, whereas in the Commonwealth you are free to be a member or not a member. You're free to come and go as you, as you wish. And remarkably, only two nations have left it to date. The Commonwealth of Nations is a vastly different organisation from the one which the Republic of Ireland left to become a republic in 1949. Only a year later, flexibility was found to retain India's membership, starting a process which has continued, and the majority of members are now indeed republics. Current membership stands at 54 nations on all six continents with over a third of the world's population and one-fifth of its land area. Almost all of the world's main languages, religions, racial groups and cultures are included within its membership. From the intense concentration of life in Singapore and Bangladesh to the sparse wilderness of Yukon and the outback, from the tropical jungles of the Amazon to windswept Yorkshire moors, its diversity is unimaginable and almost unlimited. So what is it that has drawn these diverse nations together for a common good when they are all so different? At present the underlying principles of the Commonwealth are outlined 
in the Harare Declaration of 1991, with the main ones being, we believe that international peace and order, global economic development and the rule of international law are essential to the security and prosperity of mankind. We believe in the liberty of the individual under the law and equal rights for all citizens regardless of gender, race, colour, creed or political belief and the individual's inalienable right to participate by means of free and democratic political processes in framing the society in which he or she lives. It recognises racial, pre pre racial prejudice and intolerance as a dangerous sickness and a threat to healthy development and racial discrimination as an unmitigated evil. We oppose all forms of racial oppression and we are committed to the principles of human dignity and equality. We recognise the importance and urgency of economic and social development to satisfy the basic needs and aspirations of the vast majority of the people of the world and seek progressive removal of the wide disparities in living standards amongst our members. These are very high aspirations, I'm sure you will all agree. And who could disagree with any of them? These are principles which all nations should aspire towards, but I will also have to admit that many Commonwealth nations do not fully live up to them all at present. They are ideals to strive towards and just as importantly, assist each other to achieve. Underlying the same is common ground that generally ties these nations together. Firstly, the widespread use of the English language within government, commerce and education. Secondly, a respect for a free, independent and fair legal system, usually based on the freedoms and right established within common law system. Thirdly, a shared history, often serving together in the great wars of the last century. And fourthly, a large movement of peoples between the nations over the years, from east to west, from north to south, from west to east, and from south to north. The question that I put to everyone associated with the Republic of Ireland is can you and your nation fit into this picture? And I believe that you and your nation can. And you could go a step further, and I believe at present it is a very vital missing link. The five ideals as outlined at Harare would seem like second nature to the modern Irish worldview. You would almost suspect that there was an Irish man or Irish woman present at their drafting, with Ireland's contribution to the English language far exceeding almost every nation, its general adherence to the rule of law and free trade, a growing recognition of the brave sacrifice made by its citizens in the two world wars, and a community that has spread its wings to the far corners of the globe. Whether to Dublin in South Australia or Dublin in Ontario, Canada, the, in the Irish influence is strong within many Commonwealth nations. Indeed, several have more citizens of Irish descent than Ireland itself. And of course, the other side of the coin is also true, whereby many of Ireland's newest citizens are from the Commonwealth, whether it is Nigeria, Pakistan, Australia or India, and not forgetting England, Scotland and Wales. Which brings us back to our home shores and causes us to ask, what impact would Ireland rejoining the Commonwealth have 
on our relationship with Northern Ireland. Well, to start with, hopefully any eligibility issues concerning Commonwealth Games competitors can be avoided. I will state clearly that I welcome any initiative that builds better relationships between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, so long as they do not weaken the union with the rest of the United Kingdom. The practical outcomes might not be all that significant from day to day, but the symbolic and emotional impact on relations would be much greater. I know that we are already partners within the European Union, but that is very much a working relationship, whereas the Commonwealth is more of a friendship based around social, sporting, cultural and shared interests, and being a support for each other in times of trouble. It's about reaching out the hand of friendship to your nearest neighbour, which should not in today's modern day society be underestimated. You may have noticed, ladies and gentlemen, that I am yet to mention Her Majesty the Queen, the Royal Family or the British Empire, or indeed the Union flag. Nor have I painted a picture of the sun never setting on those red painted lands from the old schoolroom maps. No doubt there are some to whom this is what the British Commonwealth will forever be. But the reality is much different. The word British was dropped as far back as 1949, and Britain most certainly no longer dictates the outcome at Commonwealth meetings. In fact, a third European voice at the table during discussions would be most welcome. Outside of the Commonwealth realms, most would subscribe to the wider development goals as outlined in Harare. Some would even like to see the trading and commercial dimensions develop even further even becoming a counterbalance to China and the United States. Maybe this won't happen. Maybe we're being aspirational. But in an ever-shrinking world, Singapore is not much further away than Stockholm. And Queen Elizabeth has, of course, served in the role of head of the Commonwealth for 60 years now. And although mainly a symbolic role, her personal dedication and strong personality has been one of its great strengths. Of course, I hope to see Charles and William in turn take their role in the future. But that will be a matter for the member nations of that day to decide themselves. As of itself, the role is not hereditary, and having the same person in place for 60 years means it hasn't been tested for quite some time. But I do think the prestige and dignity of the Crown and what it brings is still of great benefit and should be retained. Living close to the border, ladies and gentlemen, I have witnessed many changes to both Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland over the years. And thankfully, in the last decade, despite recent difficulties, most of these recent developments have been positive. Much of the old suspicions and hostilities are fading with new relationships being built across many divides, but there is still much ground to cover. And I do know, ladies and gentlemen, that I, as someone who served in the security forces, would not have felt comfortable coming here 20 years ago. I was 18 years in the security forces in Northern Ireland, and during that time, 
Even though I, I just live 10 miles from the border of the Republic of Ireland, I only crossed that border three times in those 18 years. But I know that suspicion wasn't just from me towards the Republic of Ireland. That same suspicion was from people living in the Republic of Ireland towards me and our people in Northern Ireland. And now it is great that I and, and fellow colleagues can holiday in the Republic of Ireland and vice versa. And that is why the bridges that are being built must be developed and must be bonded. But they must be bridges that are built on respect and without threat. Must be without threat from one nation to the other, whichever way around that is. And if it has taken us from the 1916 or even 1922 to start building those bridges in the way we have, that is unfortunate. But we can't do anything about that history at the moment. All as we can do is do something about our past, about our future. And I would hope that as we all make gestures, and, and obviously there was a huge gesture last year when Queen Elizabeth visited uh, the Republic of Ireland, but even more so of a gesture was what happened from that visit. And that was how the Queen was received, not only here in Dublin, but in Cork. And I think that has, has made a huge difference to relationships. I would like to see, in fairness, the President of the Irish Republic, that when he visits Northern Ireland, that he would at least do it formally. Because for far too long, the President of the Irish Republic has treated Northern Ireland as their own. And common visits to Northern Ireland without even informing the authorities or asking permission. And I think it would be a, a much a better show much better respect if that were to happen. I also believe that a truly significant step in the process would be for Ireland to once again take its seat at the Commonwealth table. And in doing so, they would not just be reaching out across the border, but across the Irish Sea, across the oceans, and into the lives of over 2 billion people <coughs> around the world. And I think that would be a huge gesture, a huge mark of maturity, and a huge mark of maturity and respect, not just from the Republic of Ireland to the Commonwealth, not just from the Republic of Ireland to the United Kingdom, but it would certainly be a huge build, bridge building episode for all of the people of Ireland, whether you live in Northern Ireland or the Republic of Ireland. And I am sure it would make an old lady very, very happy to once again welcome Ireland back to the table as a good friend, a dear neighbour, and part of the family of the Commonwealth nations once again. So ladies and gentlemen, that is broadly my perspective <coughs> on Ireland rejoining I, I do term it right earlier. It's not just about rejoining the Commonwealth, uh, it is about them being part of the Commonwealth. Maybe we should drop the term of rejoining the Commonwealth and just say that Ireland should be part and parcel of the Commonwealth. I would feel very disappointed and saddened 
If the entire island of Ireland and its people were to go back to mistrust and disrespect and hostility between each other. Because let me tell you as a politician we have far too much of that internally. And as a unionist politician we have much too much of it internally without actually uh, not trusting your own neighbour. And again from a personal perspective I live and was brought up in a community that is very mixed in terms of how people classify themselves. I classify myself as British and Unionist and many of my neighbours classify themselves as Irish and Nationalist. But to me, if that is what they want to classify themselves, that's fine by me. I never had a difficulty with it and still don't have a difficulty with it even though they live in Northern Ireland. Provided that they have the same respect for what I want and what I believe and that I have the right to classify myself as British and Unionist. And I do believe that that uh, trust is building in many areas. I do want to make it absolutely clear that it's not everywhere. And you go into the housing estates of some of the more urbanised areas in Northern Ireland and sectarianism, if it's not equally as bad, I believe it's even worse than it was 25 years ago in some parts of Northern Ireland. And that is a sad reflection that maybe some areas has not moved on. There are far more peace walls in Belfast than there were in 1994. So I think uh, this could be one step, and it's just one step, of actually building those relationships. It would be one step in those inner city urban areas of Belfast and other uh, urban areas of Northern Ireland that would allow those young people coming up and their parents to say, no longer do we need to disrespect the Republic of Ireland and its views. No longer do we need to have the mistrust that we did 20 years ago. At last, we can build a relationship. Because one side can build a relationship, but it will never work if the two aren't part of it. And I actually believe that we, we are all interconnected. I believe many of the people of Dublin and the Republic of Ireland is more royalist in their outlook and their views than many people in Northern Ireland. But I don't believe they have had the opportunity to actually uh, deliver that and have the freedom to have that view. But I think there are opportunities now. I think we need to grasp those opportunities and I would love to see the Republic of Ireland being part of the Commonwealth once again. Not the British Commonwealth, the Commonwealth. And I think it would do uh, wonders for the building of bridges and the, the laying of respect between the peoples of these two nations. So thank you very much for your invitation. Uh, I hope I haven't bored you. That's my thoughts on the Commonwealth. That's my thoughts on relationships between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland and indeed 
between the Republic of Ireland and the rest of the world. So thank you.